Welcome to episode 93 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. My name is Dr. Richard McKinnon, and I'm joined, as nearly always, by my co-host, Pilar Orti. Pilar, how are you? I'm okay, uh, although I have to say I've got a little bit of a cold, but I'm okay either way. So uh, hello, listeners. <laughs> hello, Richard. And that's really fitting for today. I wish you didn't have a cold. You know, it was, it's terrible to hear that. But we are going to be talking about well-being today. Yes, that's what I thought. That's why I thought I'd mention it. So this is the fourth episode, isn't it, Richard, of the coaching mm. of the coaching series, of the series on coaching. Um, and we've had a look at the fundamentals of coaching. We looked at some of the common pitfalls to avoid. And we also looked, which was, which I really enjoyed as well, was how uh, coaching can support productivity. So I was going to ask you what the topic is for today, but I think you've already touched on it. <laughs> Your head cold gave me the, the <laughs> in there. You were going to talk about um, well-being and how coaching can support our well-being or how it's relevant to that topic of well-being. And I have mentioned a few times over the last few months how well-being has been one of the biggest topics that I've been involved in uh, over the last year and a half, let's say. Obviously, there's a lot of relevance there, but not in the uh, public health side of things, but more in the side of things that what's happened to people when they've had to work from home or when they've been dealing with worries about mm. job insecurity or indeed just the anxiety of living through a pandemic. So it has been front of mind for me for, for quite some time now. So I've already got some questions, but I'm going to wait and see whether you answer them as we go through our planned episode. Uh, but I suppose that the first thing would be to define exactly what we're talking about. So when you say well-being, what are you referring to, Richard? I like how you're already signposting that you're going to deviate from the plan. <laughs> when I deviate, I don't even give you any warnings. So thanks for that. We'll see. We'll see. I'm not sure. <laughs> well, I tell you what, if you're a new listener, you're very, very welcome. Um, you may want to go back and listen to episode 83 when I interviewed Dr. Kevin Teo about this whole topic of how we talk about well-being in the workplace. Um, I think Kevin and I both got a few issues off our chest. We explored a few uh, frustrations that we have. But when we talk about well-being uh, in the workplace, or actually in life more generally, this isn't just about the absence of illness. So it's not about not being sick or not being injured or indeed not being stressed or burnt out. It's much more than that. It's about um, uh, human uh, fulfillment. Um, and we want to look at the whole person. We want to not just look at the, the physical or the psychological, but also their social uh, well-being, their connectedness, um, how much they get the chance to flourish in their life, and specifically as an occupational psychologist um, at work. So it can be a bit of a catch-all term, and I guess that's why it is a little bit challenging to work with. That's why we can see it being used very, very flexibly. But it is, um, uh, I would say, our approaches are characterized by an evidence-based emphasis. So we're not um, throwing everything against the wall to see if it sticks. We're using evidence-based approaches to support, uh, improve, and maintain people's well-being. Um, and um, those things could be, I, I might argue, uh, could be helping them find 
a sense of meaning and purpose in work, because that can be very demotivating, uh, all the way through to helping people uh, cultivate some new and healthy and helpful habits that help them deal with either the stresses and strains of work or indeed their own work style so that they can keep working and uh, not allow work to take more of a toll on their health than it needs to. So quite a few things in there. And before we go into the specifics that you might look at under that topic or that you might be uh, working on with your clients under that topic, is this is this aspect of well-being something that you um, that that comes that you integrate into other aspects of coaching? So say you're helping someone with um, something that we could label under the um, theme of productivity, for example, does the well-being creep in or do you keep it separate? I'm interested in that. That, that's a really good question, and it does frequently. And it might come in because someone's attempt to be more productive, whatever that is, uh, can result in um, a negative impact on their well-being. So maybe long hours or um, the the pressure they're putting themselves under disturbs their sleep, or maybe it's having an impact on their relationships with their colleagues and, and outside of work. And, and sometimes that's the hook. That's the, the the way that you can draw someone's attention to the fact that their working style isn't sustainable because it's it's, it's taking a toll on on their well being, and of course. <laughs> It could be the other way around as well. It could be that when when someone talks about the pressure and the stress they're under, you know, digging into that, we can explore the habits and the ways of working they've cultivated that are contributing to that, that are making it worse. And the, the first thing that pops into my mind is the habit of procrastination. And that will often result in a lot of pressure and a lot of stress because, uh, you know, those last minute dashes to get things done. So they often come together. I don't really care what it's called. Do, do you know what I mean? As long yeah. as we can raise someone's awareness, um, give them the tools they need so that they can make a change that's valuable to them. Okay, so if we are looking specifically at the area of well-being, so say you're working with someone under that umbrella, what do you usually work on? What kind of stuff do you usually work on with the clients? Well, I thought I might share some of the things that have come up in coaching conversations over the last year or so. So, you know, we're we're almost on this a kind of other side of some of that stuff, but definitely when people were experiencing lockdown conditions and they were working while under lockdown conditions, it was about exploring a sustainable way of doing that and not working every hour that they were conscious, but learning how to create boundaries and manage those boundaries and create routines that were helpful for them, uh, enabled them to yes, do a good day's work, but also enable them to have a healthy side uh, to their to their existence when actually a lot of their boundaries had evaporated and a lot of their activities and pastimes were, were no longer possible. So it was about seeing um, what is possible given all of these limitations when it's probably a really bad idea to fill all of your evening time and all of your weekends with work just because you can. That vacuum being filled with another email, another document, another phone call. And that was a big pattern. Oh, sorry, Richard, but I'm, I'm, I'm thinking that even beyond lockdown, this question of boundaries also could come up in all sorts of, um, of ways. 
Uh, absolutely. And, you know, that, that that's an extreme example and one I hope we never have to deal with mm. again. But it, it sort of illustrated to many of us how paper thin some of these boundaries are and how um, sensitive our conception of what do I do with my time is to establish norms in society. And when those sort of change, we find ourselves a bit at a loss. And again, you know, getting a sense of meaning and purpose and how do I want to spend my time or what kind of person do I want to be helps raise the conversation from task, task, task. Because as you and I have said before, when talking about productivity, we'll never get to the end of the tasks. So it's a bit of a fool's errand to say, well, I'll, I'll take a break when all the tasks are done because work doesn't end until we decide to, to end it. Um, but yeah, that's the extreme end. The, you know, the other end is giving people a sense um, that they can create or amend some boundaries that they've set for themselves to, to get a better well-being result. And what other things? Sorry for the interruption. <laughs> no, 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 no. Um, so you know, it's really interesting that when, when I when I talk about this with with different people, how the conversation can go into all well being adjacent topics, and some of them, mm -hmm. I think I'm hitting a, a seam of gold when someone might say, "Well, that's really basic. <laughs> you know, that's really <laughs> that's almost like." too basic for our conversation. And I might usually say, well, yes, but you're not doing it, right? So it's common sense, but you are not doing it. And, and in that, you know, bucket, we have things like taking breaks, getting exercise throughout the day, moving around, uh, making sure you don't sacrifice your personal roles and your pleasurable activities and, um, and sleep, um, which, which comes up quite a lot, um, surprisingly so, uh, or, or not surprisingly so, because it's such a big part um, of our well-being. But it, it can really be um, knocked out of kilter by our daytime habits. So people are surprised when I ask them about that, but it can open up a really rich vein of conversation. Um, anything that falls under the umbrella term self-care, and I know that some of you listening to this will be rolling your eyes or <laughs> breaking out in a rash just hearing <laughs> self-care, but, but really it's not, you know, have a bubble bath and, and listen to some opera. It, it could be for you, but a lot of the time self-care is really doing the difficult things that will in time get you a better result for you. And that might be having difficult conversations with your manager or your team or saying no to things or limiting your involvement in things because it, 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 we often want to add things to feel better, but actually sometimes it's about doing fewer things to feel better. So all of that can fit under uh, self-care. Big theme, which is about stress management, but a sustainable approach to that to sort of spot the sources of stress and manage those uh, more effectively before you, 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 you know, it really takes its, its toll on you. Um, a big theme uh, when it comes to well-being is obviously giving people the skills of psychological flexibility, which supports their resilience. Uh, we've said before, that's not a bottomless pit. You know, everyone has limits to what they can deal with. But when we know there are challenges that exist in this person's environment, why not enable them to to build their skills to deal with them in a in a slightly different way and and something that is an evergreen topic and i put it in this space is the work home interface anything that um is proving challenging to meet the 
demands of the different roles you occupy professionally and personally. And it can be a real bone of contention, that one. And actually, the reason I consider it a well-being topic, uh, some people look at it as some kind of uh, career topic or productivity topic. But for me, it's the toll it takes on people trying to navigate that stuff and maybe resulting in them being a little bit overstretched. Um, so yeah, they're, I mean, they're, they're just some of the really common ones that come up. And it strikes me also as I'm hearing you that well-being might, as we said earlier, come up as something when you're looking at something else. And it can also uh, you can also see how the well-being is affecting a lot of other stuff and how the other stuff is affecting well-being. It's a very, maybe of all the topics we're touching on, it's obviously the most holistic. <laughs> That's uh, a really yeah. good point, um, because some of these conversations will, will actually be about, um, so for example, coaches with a chronic illness. You know, mm. I'm not coaching them about their chronic illness, but we are uh, working together to enable them to find a way to get through life while having a chronic illness and developing coping strategies and communication strategies around that. So that's a well-being topic, but there's nothing I can do for that illness. I'm in no way equipped to do that, but the coaching can, can open up all kinds of uh, options for them in how to... Um, yeah, cope with it in a more sustainable and healthy way. And of all the things you were talking about there, you, well, you mentioned some specific stuff and you did talk about the importance of sleep. So I didn't interrupt you then. Uh, you talk a lot about the importance of sleep, Richard, which, which is very important, but let's just remind listeners why. It, like I did say, it does surprise people when I when I inquire about it. And I, if I put it to you this way, you could invest in all kinds of activities to look after yourself. And a lot of that investment will be undone if your sleep is disturbed uh, for, for any length of time. It, it really is the bedrock of our well-being. And I, and I think in part, there's a, a belief that we can sacrifice sleep in order to get other things done, um, that uh, emphasizing sleep somehow doesn't mean you're tough or resilient or successful. And, you know, these many myths about uh, or, or almost bragging about how little sleep you need fly in the face of the evidence. And the evidence is that, you know, <laughs> much of uh, the developed world is, is sleep deprived on, a, on an ongoing basis. And the evidence shows that chronic sleep disturbance leads uh, or contributes to a whole range of physical and psychological conditions that we would like to avoid. And so what I try and do, um, and I, I, I literally just yesterday ran one of my sleep workshops with a, with a client as part of their well-being program with a, with a whole group of people. What I try and do is relay some of that science to enable people to understand the important role it plays and put it up there with their exercise, their diet, their involvement in meaningful activities and move away from, well, yeah, it's nighttime, you just go to sleep, right? When it doesn't always happen that way, and some of our habits can get in the way. Uh, some of the ways we deal with pressure and stress or upset can definitely get in the way of our uh, good quality sleep. And of course, once our sleep starts to suffer, it has a knock-on effect with lots of other things that are relevant. I mean, even just thinking about the workplace. When we're a bit sleep-deprived, we find it harder to manage our emotions 
And so we might act out a little bit or end up in conflict with the people around us. Um, our decision-making suffers. Our, our working memory suffers. So a lot of the things that are required of us, getting along, making decisions, are impaired by sleep. And of course, lots of the, the ways we'll deal with that sleep um, disturbance could then form a, a bit of a, a vicious cycle. Then we, you know, lean into the caffeine or the energy drinks and then not realizing that, you know, a load of that caffeine is still in our system late at night and we can't get to sleep. Or we become anxious about the inability to sleep, which again prevents us from getting to sleep. So um, it, it is a hugely complex topic and you have to work hard to keep it nice and simple and accessible for people. But really for me, it, it's emphasizing that this is one of the best things we can do is when we're having a hard time of things is really um, ensure we get enough sleep and see it as one of the main uh, coping toolkits, uh, sorry, tools in our toolkit that we can actually use. I completely agree. Um, and <laughs> of course, uh, and as well as just making sure that that we get the sleep we need at nighttime <laughs> when, when we are supposed to be sleeping. I also think, like you said, it's really undervalued and underused as a, as a tool to help us feel better. Um, and this is not research-based, so I'm, I'm just going to talk for, for myself uh, now. But I think that, for example, when, when my mother's not feeling well, I always say, go to bed and sleep <laughs> because as, as we know that the body is really good at the, the immune system gets a boost while we're sleeping and sometimes that's all we need and then more as a as an anecdote also um my when we were in lockdown and my husband sometimes he was getting a bit grumpy and instead of i don't know <laughs> doing something or or even when he was a bit um tired instead of having a coffee for example just sleep for 10 minutes and that would suit him it would recharge him mm -hmm. it would calm mm -hmm. his mind if he had lots of stuff and i often think that and this again this is going off on a tangent but i often think that workplaces as well as offering us coffee should give us the opportunity to have a 10 minute nap so when we're tired instead of a coffee, we sleep for 10 minutes, recharge. So anyway, that's my my little bit, my, my thoughts that were sparked off. No, it's a lovely insight into it. And you're touching on some really important contributions that sleep make, uh, like like um, emotional regulation and emotional processing. That's why we feel, you know, our, our skin is paper thin, if you like. Mm. Um, we're really skin uh, thin-skinned when we haven't had enough sleep. And, and that causes us all kinds of problems. And, and a nap, you know, could not for everyone, but could be just what we need to be able to recharge, boost the batteries, however you want to put it. And yet, you know, it's not accepted everywhere that taking a nap is going to help your productivity or help your performance. In fact, it's not, it's often frowned upon and, you know, maybe put in the, uh, the department of being lazy. And so, changing uh, opinions around sleep and seeing it as, as something that's really powerful uh, is what's important here. But like I, I mentioned, oh, that's really basic. You know, when people feed stuff back around well-being, well, we're often not doing the basics. We're often not looking after ourselves, like getting outside, like getting sunlight, like having a walk, like being adequately um, fed and watered. And so some of the things that we do in order to cope with difficulties have a knock-on effect uh, to other aspects of our well-being that we're, we're somehow blind to because we think, well, it can't be that. That's too obvious. You know, mm. my life is extra tough because of all these emotions I'm feeling. Yeah, but you, you've got four hours sleep. So, yeah, you're feeling a lot of emotions, but, you know, why don't you try um, some of these things that could help with your sleep? So it, it, does, it does regularly um, 
and not surprisingly, come up in conversation. Right. So I will, in a in a moment, look for. I'm sure we have an episode on sleep, Richard. So I will, <laughs> I will look look through the trailer for that. Um, but something I'm also wondering, and I'm sure listeners are. So we've got an idea now of what some of the issues are that come up during your sessions when you're looking at well being. How do you work with your uh, clients on them? I think that's always something that we want to know. What kind of how do you address the the topics under well being? So I'm, I might surprise you by saying, I believe it's episode 18 that was oh. about sleep and well-being. I believe, no. <laughs> but you can have a look and oh, check that. No. My, I've turned my, the tables on you. Yes, I was like, oh no. Yes, it is. I can, I've checked. Oh my God. Wow. Sorry, okay. listeners. I've been demoted. Wow. No, I'm just, I'm surprised at what I was able to dredge out of the back it. of my memory. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well done. That's because you sleep a lot. Okay. <laughs> sorry. Well, that's <laughs> for another not. episode. Okay. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Okay. But the approaches, uh, how, I suppose, yeah. uh, two, two broad, two broad approaches here. Obviously, um, as a coaching psychologist, um, I'll use acceptance and commitment theory a lot when it comes to well-being related topics and we've talked about this a huge amount the the theory that underpins the skills uh, to develop psychological flexibility why is this relevant well for, for a lot of the time when um, our well-being is is suffering uh, because of something that's going on in life we can we can then identify oh what are these patterns of behavior you've got caught up with that you think are the only way to deal with this situation. Maybe it's sacrificing sleep. Maybe it's skipping meals. Maybe it's, um, you know, blowing up uh, emotionally at people. But you're, there's a pattern here. You're stuck, as we said before, moving from stuck to unstuck as being a, a very neat way of describing coaching. So it, it can really help someone both spot the pattern and understand from a human and a compassionate perspective why they do it. You know, how does it serve them in the very short term? Brings a bit of relief, doesn't it? You know, when we get something off our chest or we have that extra slice of cake or whatever it is. But then we can also explore, well, how would you like to be? You know, what what kind of person would you like to be in these situations that you're finding difficult? And now we're talking about uh, the use well, first of all, maybe the clarification of what's important, like values, and then learning how to put those in action in certain contexts to make uh, decisions that are maybe more helpful in that uh, context. And of course, when we look at things from an ACT perspective, it really helps us avoid right and wrong, good and bad, and, and self-criticism versus success, but more, oh, okay, well, here's a situation where I can make a different choice because I think that's helpful. And that's a much, much nicer and less um, self-critical, for example, way of looking at some of these things. And, you know, when it comes to behavior change, which, is, which can be tough, looking at the, the notion of contextual decisions in this context, am I moving in the direction of my values or am I really getting caught up with the minimization or elimination of some kind of discomfort real uh, out around me or imagined that's going to happen in the future. And instead of here's a checklist to turn your life around kind of well-being, you know, do these things, uh, which doesn't sit well with me at all. It's more, how can we identify what you think you could do differently in these various situations. Now, in parallel, 
Well, I hope that makes sense. First of all, let me take a breath. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it does. And actually, um, the the thing that stuck most uh, with me was uh, the the ability um, to not to not let it be a bad thing. Sorry, I've put that terribly, but <laughs> but mm -hmm. not to judge not to judge yourself on on any of this is just as a concept. Even before you go into all the other stuff, I think is great. Sorry, carry on. <laughs> it, it it's really important, though, isn't it? Because mm. there's almost like. Um, trying to think of a better phrase and I'm sure there is one in 2021 but all I can think of is you know the throwing the baby out with the bathwater. so yeah. I've I've not done this one thing I was going to do that's good for me so what's the point in doing all the others because I'm bad at my well-being you know I haven't gone to the gym so I might as well have this filthy takeaway <laughs> <laughs> you know yes. that kind of mentality when in fact every moment that we notice what's going on serves us with another opportunity to do something more helpful it's not all or nothing And, and that's what can free people up to try new things and try tiny things, really small things that enable them to feel good about making a decision that serves them well. So that's how ACT contributes to this, really in a nutshell, but that, that perspective, that theoretical um, framework. But there's a parallel process um, that often is important, which is, broadly speaking, psychoeducation, helping people understand these things. So, for example, when it comes to stress management, or dealing effectively with pressure, something that will come up regularly, you know, are, are um, a coachee talking about the symptoms of stress, what happens to their emotions, what happens to their thinking, what happens to their body that they notice, you know, the physical, the physiological, as well as the psychological. And a psychoeducation approach here helps people understand that that's normal. It's unpleasant. It's unwelcome but it's normal and it helps them recognize these signs before they maybe get hijacked by them. But it also uh, could take the form of helping people understand the difference between thoughts, emotions, and behavior, or noticing how certain sensations are associated with certain behaviors or um, certain things we say to ourselves after certain behaviors. So there's an element there of sharing information and educating at a very simple level so that we're on the same page and that um, people are less likely to rely on received wisdom or things they've found on Google. We try and use the science there as well. Wow, excellent. So that's how you would um, work with a client on that. And then Going back to this idea of how it links to other areas of, of coaching, uh, last episode was on productivity, and mm. we've already talked about how how well-being and productivity, when, we, when we're uh, tackling those two things, they're probably quite linked. Uh, how, how are they linked, Richard? Okay, I'm going to assume they're linked <laughs> in some way. Uh, how are they linked? If they are. They're linked. I mean, they, how much are being they linked? I, I, well, a lot, and, and I would make this case a lot, that if, if we're getting the right things done in the right way at the right time, you know, that loose definition of productivity that we use, we'll feel good about ourselves. We can have a sense of achievement. We're, doing, uh, we're working in a sustainable way. We'll most likely be able to dedicate the time and attention to the various roles we occupy. So we won't feel pulled in all directions, we'll maybe be more connected with our sense of purpose. So, you know, that approach to productivity can really boost some of the psychological well-being and, of course, contribute to physical well-being if it allows us to engage in things like exercise or just movement or, or uh, avoids us uh, or helps us avoid engaging in unhelpful 
and unsustainable coping strategies like food and alcohol. But conversely, um, we can really, uh, through our own attempts to get it all done, do everything, be super productive or always connected, well, we're going to we're going to have a whole uh, heap of things um, that will happen as a result of that. We won't necessarily get any of that sense of satisfaction and purpose because that's an unlimited, bottomless well of stuff. So, how will you know when you've got the right things done? Um, as I said earlier, it could translate into disturbed sleep. People can skip meals. They work um, extra hours. They might then have conflict with their family members. Uh, they might have conflict with uh, people at work because of their demanding style. So it, 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 it's often uh, almost false to divide productivity and well-being because they, they sort of influence each other really strongly. But I think the most important thing for me is to find out what's the thing that's not working for you and might there be something else? And even if you're telling me that this approach works for you, what about the people you care for or the people with whom you're interdependent? It might from time to time work for you, but it is, is it working for everybody else? And could you keep doing this. And that's often what, what grabs people's attention. I, I made the point on yesterday's uh, workshop about the links between um, uh, extended sleep disturbance and sleep loss, you know, shorter hours, like five hours or so, uh, the link between that and a negative impact on our reproductive health. And, and that is something that's going to concern many, many people. So often you've got to make the case for, well, if you keep doing this, these are some of the things that could happen as a result of that. And of course, because we don't really identify with our future selves all that strongly, we think, well, that's, that's future me's problem. We'll deal with that. It's often about extrapolating from the now into the short term and um, exploring those links, hoping for honesty, you know, and an openness to trying different things. Wonderful. Lots to think about. Lots to think about, listeners. So we were looking at what do we mean by well-being. Um, Richard, you've shared some of the things you cover with your clients and how <laughs> how you might work with them. And also we talked about sleep uh, and, of course, this last link to, to productivity. So anything else that we need to cover about the link, um, sorry, about uh coaching for well-being or coaching around well-being before we wrap up? It, I don't want to be um, bad news bear, but it's really important for all coaches and coaching psychologists to work within the limits of their competence. And this is one where we need to distinguish between um, I'm coaching you, ex for example, for your procrastination um, and you're, you know, you're working with someone else on your anxiety, for example. I'm not trying to treat your anxiety, but obviously significant mental health challenges are better dealt with by an accredited clinician. And obviously physical illnesses, I have, you know, no way to treat anyone for that. Uh, so that needs to be dealt with by, by a physician. So obviously when we open Pandora's box of well-being, we, we really need to be equipped with uh, the skills to refer people to the the appropriate person for that problem for for that challenge for that condition so we really need to not try and deal with everything uh, keep it simple keep it within our competence keep it within within the evidence wonderful so what are we looking at next time as we continue with this series on coaching 
Yeah, so next time uh, we're going to discuss this last of the sort of big three topics that I work within, which I call effectiveness. That's really a bit of an umbrella term for what people often call soft skills. This is the stuff that helps us be effective interpersonally. So in addition to our knowledge and our technical skills, and uh, it's a huge topic in coaching. So we'll look at some specific examples of how that comes up and, and what we end up doing with it. Great. Can't wait. I look forward to it. And um, if anyone out there who's listening uh, has questions about coaching, please do get in touch. You can do that via Twitter at MyPocketPsych or send us a long message via the contact form, worklifepsych.com slash contact. Um, and we'd love to know what your questions are about coaching or just sharing your own experiences. And if you want to know more about our approach to coaching, uh, just visit the page at worklifepsych.com slash coaching. Nice and easy. And thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening. <laughs>